0: Great. I'd like to welcome Brian, who's going to come and share God's word with us. I think it'd be really good just to pray for Brian as he speaks. Um, And just to honour him as well. Brian has been a part of this church for many years. um, And we thank God for his gift of communication. He's a good preacher. I like to listen to what he has to say. He catches a plane at half ten tonight. He's off to South Africa For two days and then comes back again on Wednesday night, Thursday morning. So he's he's in and out of the country quite a bit. But thanks for coming and preaching for us today, Brian. Just be good to pray for you. Let's do that, shall we? Yeah, Father, thank you uh, for what you've put in Brian's heart today for us. And Lord, as he speaks your word into our hearts, I pray that you would speak into his heart too. And that you would refresh him and strengthen him, and anoint him now in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, mate. Thanks, Graham. It's nice to have you back.
1: I was just thinking, I planted some plants in the garden yesterday, and I was so pleased it's raining. But uh, anyway, uh, it's been dreadfully muggy, hasn't it, recently? And I was thinking about what I was talking about today and I, was, I felt to talk about divine interruption not how it's been dreadfully muggy but what it did make me think Sam was talking to me last week about a story that that I'd, that I'd written about years ago and uh, Tracy and I used to live in Ibiza in Spain and we ran a ministry out there 24-7 prayer in Ibiza and one of the things that happened was from from midnight till four in the morning we would go out on the streets we would talk to people who were drunk people who were in distress people who were in despair we would we would pray with them we would take them home we'd clean them up we'd generally try and be christ-like to them we'd sometimes witness to them we would sometimes give them bibles and we would do that from about midnight till about five in the morning okay so and we'd be like a team of 12 of us not just tracy and i you would send half the team out for an hour to do their stuff go and go up to people and go hi i'm a christian can i pray for you I know it sounds scary, but it used to work. About 1,000 people every summer would say, yes, please. And then the other people, they stayed in the room for an hour and prayed. And then we swapped over. No one got an option to just, I just do prayer or I just do mission, because I believe that we're called to both breathe in and breathe out, that we're called to breathe the presence of God in, but we're called to breathe the presence of God out in witness and worship to those around us. So that's what we did all night long, as Lionel Richie said. (laughs) LAUGHTER (laughs) I <laughs> said so dad. I'm, I've decided to embrace dad jokes. Do you know what I mean? Once you're this grey, you can just get away with it. And uh, so we're doing this praying with people all summer. And uh, one, and you know, at the end of the evening, you'd do a little round-up prayer. You'd get everybody in the room. And you'd talk about, oh, you know, I talked to this person. I shared Jesus with that person. I helped this person. I looked after this person. A great evening. But the reality is, at about five in the morning, you just want to get home and go to sleep. And so you, you kind of want to do one of these, Dear Lord Jesus, please put your seal over all the work we've done tonight. Good night. I'm off. You know, that's the kind of prayer. So you've got the whole team in the room, and you're, you're kind of like there, and you're, you're just doing a little prayer. And so we're doing that one night, and we're just sitting down, and there's a knock on the door of the prayer room. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, it's like quarter to five. And it was God at the door. He had vest on, shorts, flip-flops, beads. And he said the most profound thing I'd heard in years. And it was, I'm really sorry to interrupt your meeting, but there's someone out here who needs help. It wasn't, you know, it it was a bloke asking for help, but he brought the voice of God. And I often think about that evening and that statement, I'm really sorry to interrupt your meeting, but there's someone out here who needs help. And I genuinely believe that's what God continually wants to do. He wants to divinely interrupt our lives. He wants to knock on the doors of our everyday existence and say, come with me. You see, for years, we say, come Holy Spirit. And I did that last week. And I believe we should do it as often as we possibly can. Come Holy Spirit. Do you know that sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, Come, holy people, and take us on a journey, take us on an adventure, and lead us into new things. He divinely interrupts our lives. And uh, I guess it all begins when we become Christians. If you read John 20, verse 19 to 23... This is what happens. This is after Jesus has been crucified, and this is when he's resurrected. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. They met with a risen Jesus. He breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. And in many ways, this is how everybody becomes a Christian. We all of a sudden become aware of a risen Jesus. Jesus is alive, he's real, he died for me, he gave his life to me and therefore we give our lives to him. It's the process of becoming a Christian, is the acknowledgement of I cannot do life without Jesus. He is real, he exists and I want to give my life to him. That's Christianity and, it's, and, and at that point <laughs> that we meet with him, that we receive the Holy Spirit. The day you became a Christian you received the Holy Spirit. The day those men acknowledged that Jesus was standing in their midst and saw it, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul clearly taught that we receive the Holy Spirit the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Saviour. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 declares, For we were all baptised by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greek, slave or free. We were all given the one Spirit to drink. Romans 8 verse 9 tells us that if a person does not possess the Holy Spirit, he or she does not belong to Christ. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Ephesians 1, 13-14 teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation for all those who believe. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. We are filled with the holy spirit when we become christians obviously there's another level when it comes to pentecost but i just read this really beautiful thing this week a friend of mine called chris Westloff she wrote this about the holy spirit the divine interrupter this is her words the holy spirit is not an atmosphere a power surge, or an object we can learn to manipulate. He is not an electric current that turns on when we want him to or performs at our beck and call. The Holy Spirit is not a force that sits ready to serve our urges, nor something that happens when the room is charged with worship. He is holy and completely other, he is divine in every way the majestic one the transcendent eternal spirit and he is holy his holiness is the very thing that makes his intimate involvement in our lives so stunning the reality that he is within us upon us and moving through us is truly scandalous The Holy Spirit is to be seen, known, experienced, befriended in the depths of our being, yet he is an utter mystery. He leads us, but most of the time doesn't tell us where. Sometimes he arrives on the scene in power, other times he is more like a soft, nearly imperceptible breeze. She goes on to say, He and I, the Holy Spirit and I, are separate individuals. And I must never forget this. It seems a bit funny to emphasize this in writing, but it is incredible how easy it is to treat the Holy Spirit as a part of me, integrated into my imagination or emotions, or something that stirs in my gut. It's easy to treat him as an elusive. floating around the atmosphere rather than the third person of the Trinity this magnificent spirit is to be worshipped followed, adored, obeyed and loved he is to be honoured and respected as the Holy One he has a will and an intention to which we are beckoned to yield it's beautiful I put it up there, but it's in a book she's writing, and I had to read it, and I just totally nicked it, and it's not been published yet, so I can't put it up on screen. But I phoned her and said, She said you could use it today. So, do you get that? This sense that the third person of the Godhead comes alongside, indwells in us, helps us, and leads us. I don't know if you were here last week, but Adrian got up and he said, I was going to watch the video, but Ollie was away on holiday. Did anyone get that? And he didn't have a chance to put up. Now, in our organisation that I work for, we have this little phrase. It's called key person dependency. Most organisations have to work away from key person dependency. which is like when an organisation relies too heavily on the knowledge and ability of one person. So when that one person's not there, things don't happen. You know, like, It's like if I key person dependency on Tracy. If she went under a bus, our family would fall to pieces. But... That's probably a bad... Anyway, let's leave it in the management world rather than the death of my wife world. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Woo. But, you know, it's key person dependency. Like, Ollie was the key person people depended on, and he was away. He's almost like the Holy Spirit. Well, not quite. Sorry, Ollie. But there is this sense, although we should be avoiding key person dependency in our working environments, as Christians... We should be key person dependent. We should be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. As Spurgeon so wonderfully says, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind or chariots without steeds. Like branches without sap, we are withered. Like coals without fire, we are useless. Holy Spirit is an essential part of my Christian faith. We can't live a life as a Christian without being dependent on the Holy Spirit. This is not about a specific tradition of the church. This is about our faith. This is not Pentecostalism. This is our faith. And then, of course, there does come a time of quickening outpouring of the spirit we see that jesus turns up in the room and he breathes on them and they receive but then there's this kind of there's an outpouring on the day of pentecost the disciples are all locked up in a room still scared and frightened and acts 2 1 to 7 says this when the day of pentecost came they were all together in one place suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of those who are speaking Galileans? Galileo, Galileo, can you do the fandango? But... The Spirit of God fell on them. And do you know what happened? They were propelled out. The Spirit led them out. They were in an upper room praying. And when the Spirit comes, the Spirit always leads out. You know, when we're singing that song, why do our hearts pound? When it's come now, Spirit, fill the room. You make my heart pound. Why? Because when God's Spirit shows up, he takes us on adventures. Helen Keller said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing doesn't mean we all have to go to Machu Picchu or we all have to go uh, velo-railing or whatever. But our lives, are you know, there are moments where God wants our hearts to pound because he wants us to rely totally and absolutely on him. And he wants us to become dependent on him and he wants to send us out. In a world, right, where we actively withdraw from risk and danger and where we are increasingly averse to risk, I wonder who would have filled out the risk assessment when Peter got out of the boat. Yeah, spirit lead me. You know, there's a risk assessment there. You don't step out of a boat. We go canoeing to and you're not allowed in the lake without a life jacket on, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Peter literally got out of a boat and started walking on water. I mean, that he was not risk averse. That's a risk. You know, and so God is looking for us to step out. And God still wants to send us out. One of the biggest challenges I've noticed as I travel the world, which is increasingly, is this kind of weird thing that's happening in churches. It probably comes off the back of COVID. It's all a little bit self-helpy. It's about, it's about helping me. And I'm not, I'm not like anti-self-help, because I, I've, I've just had eight weeks of counseling. I love it. I love being able to look into my, you know, who I am and help me become a better person. I think it's really important. But, you know, I was listening to a guy this week, and he was talking about this. He was talking about how the church has slipped into kind of therapeutic, moralistic deism. God, And this is kind of, I'll tell you, let me explain this. The big quote uh, that... we'll get into the bigger quote in a minute, but God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible, but also as taught by most other world religions. Not many that are saying, be horrible. I know we'd all like to think Islam was like that, but it's not. Generally, it's about, you know, being nice and kind and Buddhism and Hinduism and, you know, they're all, there's a general kind of kindness element flowing through them. And the central goal of life is to be happy, to feel good. That's what it's all about, being happy, feeling good. And God, Here's another one. God does not need to be particularly involved in my life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. You know. So a lot of it, our teaching becomes about our life is tough, and here's how God wants to make it easier. Or we talk about our pain and other people's pain a lot. And I'm saying this with real gentleness, but if we're not careful, we move into a therapeutic mode of Christianity, But we talk about doing good and being better, which is moralistic. It's just about doing good and being better. And this is all completely legit, by the way. We're meant to care for people. We're meant to love for people. We're meant to help with people. We're meant to stand with the sick and the lonely and the dying. We're meant to be there. But life is not about the avoidance of suffering and pain. I'm only 53, and I've discovered this. It is impossible to have a pain free life. Okay? Just putting that out there. I'm looking around, a number of us have gray hair. And I see a lot of us nodding. It is impossible to have a pain free life. Moralistic therapeutic deism is about providing therapeutic benefits for its adherents. This is not a religion of repentance from sin, of keeping the Sabbath, of living as a servant of sovereign divinity of steadfastly saying one's prayers, of faithfully observing high holy days, of building character through suffering, of basking in God's love and grace, of spending oneself in gratitude and love for the cause cause of social justice, etc. Rather, what appears to be the actual dominant religion is centrally about feeling good, happy, secure, at peace. It is about attaining subjective well being, being able to resolve problems and getting along amiably with other people. Right? I was just praying about this this morning and I wrote this statement. We could end up believing in an undemanding deity. We could end up believing in an undemanding deity. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, wrote, when i survey the wondrous cross and this beautiful the fourth verse says where the whole realm of nature mine there were an offering far too small love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all i don't want to believe in an undemanding deity that's not who i want to follow the Holy Spirit falls not just to make us feel good about ourselves but to propel us out God can and does do therapy but he is also the missio dei the sent and sending God mission is the reason the church exists we're one of the own, One of the great archbishops said we're one of the only organisations that exist for our non-members. It's true. We're one of the only organisations that exist for our non-members. And there's this beautiful quote from a guy called Bosch. There is church because there is mission, not vice versa. To participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love towards people. Since God is a fountain of sending love. I could sing of your love forever. What, just in a room to each other? No, I could sing of your love forever to those around me who are broken, to those around me who need Jesus. I could sing of your love forever because your love is great and it's changed my life and it could radically transform your life. And the spirit falls, not just so that we can feel good, the spirit falls at Pentecost to propel us out to sing of this love, to step out upon the water and to live a faith that is both, both full of him but also responsive to the world around us, the fountain of sending love that is our faith so Pentecost and the infilling of the Holy Spirit is the invitation to participate in God's love towards people this is why it's different this is why it's not just therapeutic and moralistic it is different because we are invited to participate in God's love towards people you only have to read your Bible to see that God shows up and people are sent out lives are changed tyranny is defeated captives are set free and God's kingdom comes to the world Noah gets interrupted. What does he do? Builds a boat, no water. Joseph has a dream that one day he's going to be a leader. He's the least of his tribe. What, what happens is he gets sent off to Egypt and eventually he's responsible for saving them from extinction. Moses, just out in the desert looking after some sheep. Burning bush, life interrupted, goes back and leads people to freedom. David, just taking his brother some cheese sandwiches down at the battlefield. Next minute he's fighting a giant. Lives interrupted. Just read your Bible, you'll see it time and time again that God shows up and interrupts people's lives for the sake of others. For the sake of others. Gideon, for the sake of others. Elijah, for the sake of others. It's endless that God interrupts lives for the sake of others. He is the sent, like he is sent. Jesus is sent, but he is also sending us, the sent and sending God. It's this cyclical, circular thing of God pours his spirit out. God fills us. But he is always propelling us out, sending us the scent and sending God. The Holy Spirit is a divine interrupter. He is a divine interrupter. Tessa moves to Kenya at 21 for two years because God interrupted her life. Chris and Helen Squires, in their early 50s, moved to France to serve God. Why? Because God interrupted their lives. Adrian and Rosemary set up community works. Why? Because God interrupted their lives. Janet, years ago, set up a playgroup in this church. Why? Because God interrupted her life. The church builds a sports hall. I know we don't use it as much, and it's sometimes a bit of a pain acoustically. Why did we do that? Because the Spirit moved on some guys, and they said, we'd love to reach out to the people around us. Let's build a sports hall mike and beryl moved to africa in their 50s to set up a whole thing after they've been leading church for years i mean in your 50s you're thinking about all oh, 12 years and i'm going to be chilling but you go straight off to africa and set up like a wellspring and a, a medical it's amazing you know we run a food bank because god interrupts people's lives and so people need food we do friday lunch here because god interrupts people's lives andy and helen move as a family to peru because when the spirit comes he sends this is, this, is the, this is the, you know, this is where we need to move to. You know, come Holy Spirit. When, when we were singing that song, Oceans, we're going to sing it again at the end, I was like, that is a really, really, really scary prayer. Really scary, you know. Like, properly, Spirit lead me to where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may call me. If you really think about that if, if that. if you actually mean that, how scary could that be? Yes, Lou, it is a super exciting. Thank you, but it's scary as well, isn't it? You know, and so but I'm, <laughs> the church is at its most vibrant and alive when it lives and works for others, when it is responsive to the prompting of the Spirit to be sent out to do what we are meant to do. And God didn't just fall once. That's the beautiful thing. But the Spirit of God didn't just fall at Pentecost. He falls again and again. By Acts four, two chapters extra. He has, the Holy Spirit falls again on the church. It says in Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Interesting. Happened again. So, so God continually wants to keep filling us again and again. Ephesians 5 verse 18, it says to all Christians, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The verb be filled is famously a present tense verb, which means to do it regularly and continually. That's why last week said, it'd be good to just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We're just building on that now. Come Holy Spirit. What do you want to do? Am I willing to be interrupted? Am I willing to be divinely interrupted? The guy knocks on the door of the prayer room and says, I'm really sorry to interrupt your meeting, but there's someone out here who needs help. And I wonder sometimes if God knocks on the doors of our hearts and says, I'm really sorry to interrupt your life, but there's someone out here who needs help. I don't think he apologizes, because I think he takes us on adventures. C.S. Lewis wrote this in, in really lovely English. The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. And the life God is sending one day by day. And so, you know, that's what I'm called to. I want to I be interrupted. I want to position myself to be divinely interrupted. And as I was praying this morning, I, I don't want to say this, I want to say this lightly, but I believe there are people in the room who God wants to dramatically interrupt your lives with his Holy Spirit, Dramatically. There's repositioning, there's a refocus of what you're doing. could involve geography, it could involve finances and it could scare you. But I genuinely think that there's stuff, when we look at Andy and Helen and what they did, it was scary as heck, but as someone said, he was doing the right thing. But there are others of us in this room and I just really believe that we need to position our lives as well for interruption. Because an interruption may not mean you take your family to Peru. An interruption may mean, why don't you talk to that person you're standing next to on the bus? Why don't you have a conversation with someone? Why don't you share? Why don't you take a cake around your neighbor? That's an interruption. You know, let's we, we, not, not grade what is, you know, like, oh, that's top-level interruption. We just need to live lives where we allow the Holy Spirit to interrupt. He might prompt you to go and give someone a tenner, or he might just lead you to, do something that's just kind and beautiful and generous and brings the kingdom of God in. We need to live a life that is interrupted because that's what our faith is about. We need to move away from just some sort of therapeutic, moralistic deism to actually an active, living, vibrant, Holy Spirit-anointed life that is adventurous, beautiful, challenging, painful, difficult, rewarding, all at the same time. Because that feels to me a little bit more real like the real life that we're called to, life of Jesus, life of his spirit in us. I genuinely feel that's where God wants to take the church right now. Not just this church, but the church. That there's a stepping out to a greater reliance upon his spirit. We don't have all the answers. We're not going to get sucked into all the arguments, but we do have the spirit of God, the divine Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. So I don't know if you're able to. Lucy and the team are going to come and I'm going to pray a little prayer. I just want you to think about this. When we get to the line, spirit lead me where my trust is without borders, let me walk upon the waters wherever you may call me. I just want you to really think about that as your prayer and what that would mean, what that would mean. And it could just mean, hey, I just need to be a better husband, you know. But it could mean so much more than that. And so, someone just nudged their husband <laughs> then. You only respond to that if the Holy Spirit nudges you, not your wife. Okay? So, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters, wherever you may call me. God, I just pray this morning that you would come. We want to position ourselves to divine interruption Lord, we want to ask that you would come and you would interrupt our lives. No matter how scary or, as Lou says, exciting that is, we will position ourselves to be interrupted by you. Lord, because we just it's not just about self-help. It's about your kingdom, your will, being built and established in your world. So come, speak to us, touch our hearts, challenge us, and lead us.